whoever is listening, guys, welcome back. My name is Grayson Mann, and welcome to part 10, our final part of our Clemson football preview series or episode 136 of the Man with the Plan podcast. Today, we have Alan Cole, a writer for Gamecock Scoop, which is the rival's website that covers the South Carolina Gamecocks. And now Clemson fans, try to try to level with me here on this episode. We got some good content. Alan's a good guy. So I'm really excited about this one. Alan, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for doing this. Thanks. Appreciate you having me. It's, uh, it feels like we're almost back to football season now. We're recording this last week of July. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get started, I know we be- we touched a little bit on uh, SEC Media Day, but how was that for you? Just can you walk through any significant things that you heard or saw? Yeah, so South Carolina went on the last day of Media Days. That's last Thursday. Um, no crazy bombshells or anything. I did think it was a calmer media days for South Carolina. I don't know if you remember last year, the Shane Beamer soldier boy video, which kind of led to Mark <laughs> Stoops making the comment about him, which started that whole thing. There were no bombshells. There was no, you know, backhanded comments from him or from other coaches in the league. It was a, it was a calmer media days. I think that was probably by design. And I think you had, um, you had a tweet that blew up last year about the <laughs> word count. Can you explain your process on that? <laughs> I really wish there was more to it. I was just sitting there last year listening to an interminable opening statement by Vanderbilt head coach Clark Leah, which ended up being over 2,000 words. And I was like, this is kind of long. So I just, once, you know, they send the transcripts of these things and I put it in a word counter. And then I was like, hmm, I wonder how long everybody else is. So I just started doing that. And I didn't expect it to blow up or anything. I just thought it was funny how long Vanderbilt's coach was talking. Um, I definitely didn't think people would also think it was interesting, but. That's been going for two years now. You got you got a little bit of a streak going that the fans expect from you. So <laughs> besides your uh, epic word counts at SEC Media Day, can you walk through what your role is with South Carolina Rivals, how long you've been covering the team for, and just what your day-to-day role is when the season gets rolling? Yeah, so I'm here a little bit over a year now. I started last July. Um, I'm pretty much just the day-to-day beat reporter for the four major sports, so that's football, women's basketball, men's basketball, baseball. I know I saw you at baseball last year in the spring, uh, but Clemson, I'm pretty much um, game coverage day-to-day, obviously press conferences, um, try to get some features out when I can, some like more in-depth stuff. Um, I do some stat stuff in the fall. I try to like at least once a week have like a, a stats thing for football, um, but it's pretty much just being where the action is um, day-to-day, uh, especially once football gets going here. Yeah, and for South Carolina, I think we'll segue right into the 2022 season, which I my top two words listed in my notes is roller coaster yeah. because you have uh, a two games where they take teams like Tennessee and Clemson, which we'll get into in a second, to the woodshed, putting up nearly 100 points in those two games. But then you also have situations against uh, Florida and Missouri teams, only 16 points in those two games combined. So there's a lot of highs and there's a lot of lows for, for you Covering South Carolina this year with Shane Beamer, Spencer Rattler was a big name in the transfer portal. What was that like to have really the up and down uh, South Carolina Gamecocks 2022 year? Uh, I think you hit it there when you mentioned Spencer Rattler. I felt like a lot of it kind of just depended on what version of Spencer showed up most weeks. Um, That Tennessee game you mentioned, that was the best he was all year. He threw six touchdowns. And then that Florida game was, they scored six points against a six and six team. Um, I do think a lot of it comes to Spencer for sure. And really just, this was something Shane talked about a lot at SEC media days. I feel like this is going to be a 
theme for him as we go through fall camp. It's about week-to-week consistency for this team. Um, if you go even if you, you go look at his 2021, which was really just a Will Muschamp roster with Beamer's coaching staff, but his first year, they alternated wins and losses pretty much all the way down the stretch. They didn't have one, they didn't have losing streaks or winning streaks, I think, after September, which, of course, they finished 6-6. Six and six. They were a 500 team, and maybe that doesn't apply to 2023 as much. You're two years removed from that now, but I think week-to-week consistency is probably the biggest question mark for this program and felt that way going week-to-week last year. Yeah, I, I think that for South Carolina, and there, this is an interesting like tidbit from what you mentioned it felt like some weeks that they're really on it. I think they'll really interconnected. It felt like Shane Beamer was taking the right appropriate steps. And then some weeks you were scratching your head. I can recall the night against Tennessee where it felt like South Carolina almost did Clemson a favor inadvertently yeah. as the chips fell in the right place for as if Clemson had took care of business against the Gamecocks, they might've been in the playoffs have things really fallen their way. But it ended up not working out like that. And South Carolina gets their first win over Clemson, I believe. It was seven or eight years. 2013, that, yeah. Yeah. And so there's a lot riding into 2023. Spencer Rattler's coming back. I'd love to get your immediate reaction for that. And I think when you have a big name like that in uh, any team, whether it be a quarterback, a receiver, a corner. Now, Rattler didn't necessarily have the year to justify potentially going to the NFL draft. But he was the guy that was considered a top pick heading into the, his year with Oklahoma before Caleb Williams took over. But what was that like for the Columbia community to have a guy like Rattler come back and have the offseason that South Carolina had? What has the offseason been like, and what is Shane Beamer's main focus? And we'll talk about the spring in a second, but what is this program's focus heading into 2023? I think you mentioned the offseason. Everything kind of feels like it's on rocket fuel right now. I think the way last season ended, those last two, uh, throughout the bowl game, I mean, it was it was a bowl game. They had players out, opting out. But you beat Tennessee. You finally get that monkey off your back. You beat Clemson in the rivalry game, the last two games of the season. They certainly not maybe Georgia or Alabama standards. They recruited well by South Carolina's track record. I believe that was their highest, at least by the rivals' rankings since the Spurrier era was their class last year. There's positive momentum here for sure. There, I think to answer your original question, I think Spencer Rattler being back is a huge continuity thing. Having him for a second year, he's maybe not as much of a known commodity as you would like going back to that inconsistency, but he is still a known commodity. He has played 13 games for your program now. I think that it's almost like a tease, right? Because if you're a South Carolina fan, you know what he's capable of now. You've watched it the last down the stretch, you know, again, especially the Tennessee game. It's does that version of Spencer Rattler show up more often than not this year? And I think that's what a lot of South Carolina fans are pinning their hopes on if there's going to be another jump this season. Yeah, I think you go into the spring that there, there's a lot of questions about what this South Carolina team can do. And we'll talk about, I, I got a couple of, certainly a couple questions about where they stand within the ICC. The opener against North Carolina that just got announced as game day. Game day, yep. Which, uh, depending on who you are, you're upset or happy about that. But... For you in the spring, what was sort of the impression of this team? What's the energy like with the coaching staff, with the players? Try to what what is like was Beamer like? Because he's a guy that I think I personally like him. That might be sacrilegious to say as a Clemson reporter, but um, I gotta I gotta love what the guy brings to the table in terms of a personality. So what has he said that's really impressed you, and what can Carolina fans expect heading into fall camp? I see. I feel a lot of. And of course, they're always going to project this, but 
I think there's a, a belief in what's going on here and the fact that the win total jumped from two in must champs last year to seven to eight or six to eight, if you want to just count the regular season because they won a bowl game in year one. But I think this is a very different looking, not very different, but it's a pretty different looking roster from what it was last year, which leads to some questions I have that we can definitely get into for sure. Yeah. Um, but I think there's general optimism. There's general, I guess it hasn't not worked yet. You know what I mean? And I understand that there's some people have made the Will Muschamp comment that, you know, he had an eight and four regular season, his second season in South Carolina, and it didn't go from there. But right now the returns are positive. You got a positive year one, positive year one off season, a positive year two, a mostly positive year two off season. I think there's an expectation and a belief that this team's going to take another jump. And I do think a lot of that is built on the way last season ended. Yeah. Um, like you, the, I actually, this is a um, thing that we talked about in our interview with our UNC rivals writer that will release. I'm, we're recording this on Tuesday. The UNC episode will have already released on Wednesday, but we talked about how each of these teams are following a similar path in year two, where there was a lot of highs. There was a lot of lows. UNC thrashing in the ACC championship, not being able to beat teams like NC state with a third string quarterback, South Carolina highs, like beating Tennessee and Clemson both come into this season I think a lot of probably project them as more of the middle ground teams of their conferences, but they both have a lot to say. And I think that putting that in game day in Charlotte, it's a, there's a lot riding on it. How important to you do you think that matchup is to get things off on the right foot on a season where there's already a lot of momentum that's been transferred over from 2022? How maybe, maybe some look at it and say, hey, it's just a week one matchup, but how significant do you think that is for this team? No, I'm actually, and I am, for people who don't know me, I am usually calm, I'm measured, I'm, it's a long, I'm, it's a long season guy. I'm actually not going to do that here. I think that's a huge week one game. I think that's a momentum thing. I think that's trying to carry what you ended last season with. Um, obviously, it matters, maybe not so much directly recruiting, but there are a lot of recruiting battles between South Carolina and North Carolina. Um, obviously, it's a, it's a chance to show off the brand. It's prime time. And here's the bigger thing, honestly, for me. South Carolina's schedule in September, you got UNC at the neutral site, you get Furman at home, and then you go at Georgia versus Mississippi State at Tennessee in a revenge game. That takes you to the bye. You've got, if you lose to UNC week one, you're already staring at road games at Georgia, Tennessee in the first month. Like, it could go south pretty quick here if you don't get off on the right foot. So I actually do think that that is maybe their biggest game of the year right out of the shoot. Yeah, and I, we had the same conversation with uh, our UNC publisher for the rival sign, Andrew Jones. He said that the same thing that for this program for UNC, there's a lot of there's a lot riding on 2022 going into 23. They also have a little bit of a gauntlet to start out and saying, hey, if you could beat South Carolina or vice versa, there's a lot you could look forward to instead of being like, man, we could be one in five heading into the bye. We could be one in four heading the bye with. Georgia, I don't know who's, I don't know what they're going to look like, but they're always going to be. They're still better than you right now. Yeah. And then Tennessee, I, I like Joe Milton, but we're I'm more of a wait and see for that. And playing in, playing in Rocky Top's never easy, um, especially on it's a revenge, revenge game. game too. I mean, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so I think having those two road games in September and Mississippi State comes to you too. That's sneaky. They won nine games last year. People forget their quarterbacks returning. Like it is a tough, tough, tough September. And that, Obviously, it's not going to get any easier if you drop a week one game on a neutral site. Yeah, I I think for the SEC, too, there's a lot of question marks, at least for me going to this year. There's obvious standouts. Alabama is going to be, I think they're going to be fine. Georgia in the East, 
we can expect them to kind of to me there are they are the this this generation or this decades Alabama where you can expect them to at least be in the SEC championship or bust consistently but for the rest of the SEC do you have a kind of idea of where South Carolina fits into that formula or maybe where do you expect them to be finishing the end of the season yeah so I picked them I believe I had them fourth in the SEC East because they still do division. This is the last year of divisions in the SEC. I know the ACC has already moved off that, but so I had them fourth in the East. I could see a scenario where they push second or third. Honestly, I think you've already said it. I think one's probably that's not realistic. Georgia's still Georgia. Um, but I think it's very muddled in the middle. You've got a lot of transfer and or new quarterbacks in the SEC this year. You just mentioned Joe Milton at Tennessee, Devin Leary, Clemson fans are familiar with from NC state. He's at Kentucky now. Um, you got a new quarterback at Florida after Anthony Richardson goes to the NFL. Uh, Ole Miss got Jackson Dart in the portal. I think that's just a very muddy middle. It always kind of is in that sort of six to eight win range in the SEC, I think. Um, I think South Carolina definitely falls somewhere in there. Um, middle of the pack with a chance to push up just, just below the top tier would probably be your best case scenario, I think. And I think you touched on something that really piques my interest in something I don't get to ask any of the other nine riders we have in the series because you're in the SEC. You mentioned 24, and I think it's just worth touching on because I have this opportunity to ask you, what was it like with the Oklahoma-Texas? You add them to the equation next year, and this could be, I guess, a two-part question. Was there discussion of those just amongst this pool of riders and maybe coaches of what to expect from them next year and South Carolina obviously will have the opportunity to play. I think they play Oklahoma in 2024. Yep. They're going yeah. to Norman. They're going to go to Norman. So what, what are your expectations for that? Are you excited? What is that? There's a lot of big picture questions about what this means for college football. We're really going to get to start to see things that we've known for years now actually materialize on the field. So when you add Oklahoma and Texas into the equation, how does that impact South Carolina in the big grand scheme of things in the sec? I think it makes it tougher. I, I mean, that's obvious. That's just stated the obvious, but I don't, I think anytime you add two programs like that, it's going to be tougher. I think it's, but it's also going to be tougher for OU in Texas too. Like there's a separate OU conversation to be had that you could have honestly with your audience with Brent Venables. Um, but yeah, I think there's a, I think there's an excitement though. I know South Carolina fans are excited. Like, Oh, we, we get to go to Norman for a game. South Carolina's never played there before. Um, Shane Beamer is obviously a former Oklahoma guy. Rattler won't be there next year, but there's excitement there. Um, I, I guess that's kind of what it is. I think everybody's a little bit excited, but also not sure how this is going to work. There's yeah. kind of that same everywhere, unless you're Georgia or Alabama, where you know you're going to be fine no matter what. I think everyone's kind of looking around like it's going to get tougher, but it might be fun too. And eventually they'll go to Austin and eventually Texas will come back to Willie B. Like, I think there's a general excitement. Yeah, there's a general, in my mind, I just want to see how it works. Like you yeah. touched on, we have no idea what's going to happen. And yes. next year feels like a, not this season, but next fall feels like a guinea pig year for college football. Mm -hmm. Once again, when you add the 12-team expansion playoff, we're going to have USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten. We're going to have uh, Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC. There's a lot of moving parts, and we get to kind of see all that work out. And I think when the SEC is at the forefront of almost every conversation of college football, that makes it very interesting too. So I'm excited to see how all the puzzle pieces come together because college football has been a continually, 
continually changing product since 2020, it feels like. Yeah, I think I had this conversation with someone else, but 2014, which I know that was a little bit of a step back here for Clemson specifically, but that was a year where everything felt new. You had the playoff, things were, you know, you were coming into this, we'd been in the BCS for so long, everything kind of felt fresh. It was fun that year, uh, but it ended up being, you know, you had a four seed with a third string quarterback in Ohio State winning the national title, but I think you're going to get that next fall. Um, it's just, everything's going to feel new. It's going to feel different. And whether that's good or bad, we're going to have to just wait and see how we get down the road. But I think you're going to have go a, a different feeling going into next year than you've had probably in about a decade. Yeah. And I think that will speak volumes to the teams that are adding uh, new players to the field and the conferences. So we'll get, that's a conversation for another time, obviously, but I just wanted to make sure I wanted to get yeah. your thoughts on that just because of the SEC bridge that but we're going to enter our two central themes of this podcast series and we talk about two things and i think it's three for this episode because when you talk about clemson there's a lot of layers to it especially when talking between between the state lines here i love talking about program expectations in this series you ask wake forest writers what their expectations are for their program or nc state or maybe i'm talking to my boss about clemson expectations Everyone's got a different answer almost. And so for a program like South Carolina, it's a Shane Bieber still feels relatively new. At least to me, he does because I'm so used to the Spurriers and the must champs. So this is a program that's trying to find that consistent. I don't want to say dominance, but South Carolina was consistently at least one of the greater teams in college football with Spurrier around. What's the expectation for year three with Beamer? heading into this season and what's the expectation? How do we define expectations for South Carolina with all the things that we've talked about today with new roster changes, Rattler coming back and a a pending change in college football next year, how powerful would it be for South Carolina to take that next step within that program before things ultimately change again? And it feels like the bar gets reset. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's different reasons this can or can't happen. And I'm sure we're going to get into and why I have questions about it, but maybe this sounds like too much. I honestly think South Carolina fans are expecting eight, nine wins. I think that just goes back to what I was saying earlier about the upward trajectory that you went from a two win team to a bowl team to an eight win team that beat Clemson. I think in a lot of South Carolina fans minds, especially with Rattler coming back and you already have that quarterback piece in there. I think a lot of people feel like, all right, well, Every other year is improved. This one's going to improve too. And if you just kind of parse that, all right, well, improvement from eight and four means at least nine and three. And at that point, you're starting to run up into what your ceiling can be with Georgia, with Tennessee, with, you know, they got um, A&M in a crossover game on the road. Like I do, whether it's fair or not, I think the expectation is going to be eight, nine wins again, because Shane Beamer, the staff has set the expectation there by, I would say probably overachieving last year. If, I don't know, maybe that's a little bit harsh, but I don't think a lot of people had this team as an eight-win team last season, and that's where it ended up. Yeah, and I, th- I think I had this conversation with a South Carolina fan before the game started. I was a guest on one of their podcasts, and they asked me what I was thinking. It was the weekend of the game, and they asked me what I thought, and I said, you know, and this was before I before, – I had no expectation, but I said, you know what, I think South Carolina is close – well, let's wait till next year. I think that's the year mm-hmm. this rivalry becomes competitive again. My answer was just a year shorter than what I thought. South Carolina comes into Death Valley. Spencer Rattler plays really well, rebounds from an early pick six off of Jeremiah Trowder. 
And I think it was a really defining moment for South Carolina's program, especially under Shane Beamer, as well as Clemson, because changes were made in the offseason to almost prevent that from happening again mm. because of how this rivalry has really progressed and where things are currently standing. So where do you where do you see this rivalry and just kind of get your big picture on it, especially now that it feels like the door is wide open because of Clemson finally giving up that win streak? I do think door open is a good way to put it. I think whenever you have something like what happened last year where you have South Carolina finally ending the streak and they do it at Clemson, um, I think anytime you have that in college football, the most important thing is capitalizing on it. I do think South Carolina has done that to a decent degree in recruiting. Again, they're not recruiting like Alabama or Georgia. If you look at in-state recruiting, um, you've got a guy like Cam Pringle, like Blake Franks, like they are winning recruiting battles in the state of South Carolina over the last, I don't know how long it's been since that game, eight months, nine months that they haven't been winning a lot. Definitely before Beamer, but even in the first calendar year of Beamer, um, that class of 2024 is built out of South Carolina kids. And I think that is not completely, but very much a pipeline from winning that football game and kind of what you can do with that on the recruiting trail. And that's ultimately what, the, what this all comes back to is talent acquisition. So I think the rivalry is more competitive than it has been in a while. Clemson still have the upper hand big picture. Yes, they've won, what is it, seven out of eight, whatever. It's still the program with the higher ceiling, I think. Well, I know they've won national titles. Um, but I think it's more open than it has been for a while. And I do think there's – Is there, would you say, I guess a better question for you. Is there a sense of urgency on the Clemson side to not lose this game two years in a row and kind of what that could mean, recruiting trail, big picture? Like I feel like there kind of is, right? Yeah, so what I, I think this for me, and I said this in a Florida State crossover preview that we had with the rival site, is that this season feels more, this season feels not like a fork and road for Dabo's job or anything like that, but it feels like a program defining season yeah. where the last two years, and we'll talk about where your perspective on Clemson is in a bit, but for me, it, it's about this program lost six games in two seasons and where from 2015 to 2020, where the playoff was not an expectation, but a formality almost. It felt like they were a shoe in pretty easily. Clemson's got a couple of decisions to make. It felt like they fire Brian Streeter and bring in the hotshot Garrett Riley. The buzz about him is still evident. Uh, there's a picture on my Twitter of just this mosh pit that's around him. It, it is uh, our opener of media day last week. People are still excited about it. And I think that was one of those moves where, and I might be overloading this answer, but after the Orange Bowl in 2011, where Gino and Tavon Austin hang 70 on Clemson. <laughs> Dabo fires Kevin Steele, brings in Brent Venables. They have a not similarly embarrassing loss, but they lose to Tennessee, a team that was oh, down a bunch of players, down Hand and Hooker. You bring in Club Nick. They just they went to the end zone multiple times, couldn't finish drives. Dabo, two weeks later after in the national championships, over three days after that, bring in Garrett Riley. So it feels like they're making those decisions, saying this is unacceptable. We have to raise the standard. So... Whether or not they lose to South Carolina or not, I think for them, we're going to see if these last two years were, an abnormal, were abnormal or they're something to come. And so that actually, and I feel like a, blah, like a word vomit over there, but this is going to trail into what I want to hear from you about Clemson. And we talk about these central themes in this podcast series is that I love hearing what it's one thing for me to say, oh, this is a big year for Clemson. They have to make this happen or whatever. But I love hearing what Wake the Wake guys at Wake Forest are saying or Miami rivals. What's their perspective on Clemson? So for you, 
where you're in the same state and the chief rival, chief public public enemy number one for your your line of work is the Clemson Tigers. What have you been hearing from them, and what are your expectations for 2023? So, I think right off the bat, and this this almost feels like a given, but I think Clemson's defense is going to be really really good again. You mentioned Jeremiah Schrader earlier; he's back. Barrett Carter back. Like that alone probably gives Clemson the best linebacker backing group in the country, probably. If not, they're definitely like maybe them in Georgia are right there, or maybe LSU and Harold Perkins. But they're in that elite cut at linebacker. Uh, defensive line, de- really the whole defense, I think you feel pretty good about it for Clemson. That's really never been a question. Um, big picture, like Clemson perspective, you mentioned that run from 15 to 20, those six years. My, I guess my long-term Clemson question, and I think going to what you said, a lot of this can get answered in 2023 is, what is the national title, national brand viability of Clemson without a one-of-one elite of the elite game changer at quarterback? Without Deshaun Watson, without Trevor Lawrence, what is Clemson's viability in that space? Um, and to be clear, I still think the floor for Clemson is probably like 10-2 and two back in the ACC championship game. I just, if you're, if you're a Clemson fan and you feel like you've declined in the last four, the last two or three years, I guess my question is more, can you get back there without having one of those guys at quarterback? And if not, then what is the new standard at Clemson? Is it just that next cut below or maybe you're in the playoff every couple of years instead of every year? How does that look? And I guess to go back, can Cade Klubnik be, I don't think he's going to be Deshaun or Trevor, but if you get a really good version of Cade Klubnik and a really good offense with a clearly known commodity as a play caller and Garrett Riley, then yeah, Clemson absolutely can go back to the college football playoff. I think that's kind of been the question ever since Trevor left is what's the quarterback look like and how much can this offense get back to what it used to be? And really that offensive line too. But that's kind of where I would say I put it. I just, big picture, I wonder about the viability and what Clemson can be without an elite quarterback. And in the immediate, I still think they're really freaking good and probably going to win 10 or 11 games again this year. Yeah, uh, I, I think I've I've heard the couple of comments from writers and just saying, hey, they they were probably average quarterback play in games like Syracuse, South Carolina, no, Notre Dame, where if they had just come in with an average quarterback, maybe you think of like a Kelly Bryant, for example, sure. if he was on this team, maybe it's an offensive scheme that held DJ Uyungle back. I think we're going to learn a lot from his uh, tenure at Oregon State, which I'm really actually really looking forward to seeing. Um we're just going to learn a lot. And I think it, whether it's, it was scheme offensively or it was just quarterback play, I think that gets answered this year. And whether they're like what Michigan was before they made the playoffs the last two years, where they were this close every year, it felt like that's where I could potentially see that mm-hmm. being if they don't reach that playoff standard, that that's just what Clemson is in the future. But like I said, we're going to find out. You mentioned Kelly Bryant. I think that's actually interesting. So Kelly Bryant, his year is 2017, right? He was, he was the he was the in-between. A lot of people right. actually probably forget that, I think. But Yeah, so but even in 2017, at least if memory serves, Clemson wins the ACC. They get the one seed. They lose to Alabama in the, in the playoff game. They kind of just get overwhelmed by them. But if Cade Klubnick is Kelly Bryant or close to Kelly Bryant with this defense, with Garrett Riley calling his plays – Clemson's probably back in the playoff, right? Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not saying Kel, Cade Klubnik. I'm not trying to compare him, but I'm just that's a name I heard thrown that around. That level of play, more not so much style wise, but that about level of play. 
I that's I meant that for 22. Like if they had if you would substitute no, I know Kelly I'm first. Just, yeah, I'm looking at 2023. Like if you get Garrett Riley's system with a Kelly Bryant level of play in They're that back. defense, yeah, yeah, that's what I'd say. So yeah, and I think that's um, it, it it's like I mentioned before. We're gonna find those answers relatively soon because they face Florida State in September. They've got road tests against NC State. They play Notre Dame. They have UNC back. There's a lot of opportunities and examinations for this team. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that builds up into a rivalry game against South Carolina in Columbia, which I could expect to be one of the top matchups of the weekend. That is just exciting to think about, honestly, a, a rivalry game at Willie B. Because, I mean, you think about that. There's 2021 where there was some buzz with South Carolina. They were a bowl team, but... I think it was pretty clear they were not as good as Clemson. Obviously, um, 2020, it's a COVID year. There is no rivalry game. It'll be the probably – we'll see how the year goes. It's always hard to project week 13, but it'll probably be about the biggest that game has felt in Columbia in a while. Mm-hmm. And I expect the atmosphere and the vibe that week to kind of reflect that. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a blast. And uh, with that, I think we've – it's been a fantastic conversation now, and this will be episode 136 and – our finale. So do you want to put any finishing touches on this series? You have the final word. It looks like, uh, no, I think I'm good. It just, if there's anything else about like South Carolina, you were wondering about this year. I know you've asked a lot of like questions about Clemson and how I think, was there anything about this South Carolina team that you want to know or that you think your maybe your audience should know? Um, I just say, if you have any potential things to look out for in the fall, before we uh, wrap up any key points or positional groups, love to hear it. I think running backs, probably the question right now you lose Marshawn Lloyd in the portal to USC Southern Cal. Um, they had Jaheim Bell, who was a tight end who also played some running back last year. He portaled to Florida state. Um, right now the running back situation is kind of to carry on joiner. Who's bit of a gadget guy, kind of Swiss army knife. He's played some wide receivers some quarterbacks and running back. You've got a D two transfer in from Newberry college up the road, Mario Anderson. I think that's potential there, but that's a question mark. And you've got Juju McDowell who, has played running back in the SEC, but has not had a big workload. And he's also just small. He's five foot eight. Um, so I wonder about the running back and kind of what that's going to look like. And that would be my biggest question from South Carolina is who emerges at running back? And the depth there is thin. It is a thin running back room. I think with a new offensive coordinator too in South Carolina, which we haven't mentioned, but they've got Dowell Loggins in. I think this is going to skew to a pretty pass heavy offense. Yeah, with with uh, Spencer Rattler under center, we can expect that, and yeah. hopefully it will. And if you guys have any anything else about South Carolina, you can follow Alan Cole on Twitter. I'll make sure to link that down below in the description yep. for this episode. And guys, this will put our this will put the finishing touches on what's been an unbelievable podcast series to do and produce, especially having the combined best of both worlds with the rival sites in this podcast. It's been unbelievable growth for this channel, which has been really exciting. So, guys, thank you so much for the support on this series. Make sure to give Alan a follow and let you know that I sent you there. Guys, thank you so much for this the support on this series. And we're going to be doing NFL coverage, Clemson football's fall camp's coming up, so I'll have some episodes on that. So, guys, I can't wait to uh, explore what this new year will be like. But subscribe as always, take care, and have a great day.